Today's podcast is brought to you by Camper Kings. When you have the freedom to choose, where will you go? Hiring a camper van from Camper Kings means you've just bought a ticket to adventure. Camper Kings offer a stunning range of quirky camper vans and luxury motorhomes with modern and stylish features, providing you with a safe staycation escape. Adventure awaits at camperkings.co.uk and you can follow them on Instagram at camperkings underscore UK. For Across the Park listeners only, there's a free bottle of champagne and free insurance when you quote Across the Park. Welcome to Across the Park podcast, a football podcast on both Everton and Liverpool Football Club, hosted and produced by a group of friends from both sides of the park. We pride ourselves in bringing you the very best conversation from the ongoing matters at both clubs, providing banter and debate. We also release regular specials with guests connected to both clubs providing insights and interviews never heard before. The back catalogue of these shows is available on our website, acrosstheparkpodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to hit subscribe to Across the Park Podcast on your favourite listening app and please give us a follow on our social media. Head over to Instagram or Twitter and search at Across the Park PC or Facebook, search Across the Park. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to Across the Park podcast, episode 28 of the 2020-2021 season. Two Blues and two Reds, tonight as always, myself Gary Judge and Andrew Price representing the Blues and Terry McGiven and Phil Roberts representing the Reds. Not much to review obviously tonight after uh, only Everton being in action over the weekend, so we'll be starting off by reviewing Everton's 2-0 defeat to Manchester City in the FA Cup. We'll be looking at Liverpool's draw in the Champions League as well as tackling some social media questions and going through a week in history, as always. So we're going to kick off with, um, as I've said, with, with Everton's review, uh, Everton's game against Man City at the weekend, Pricey. So um, disappointing, obviously, to bow out of what was realistic. Well, well, it is, was our only opportunity of, of a trophy this season. And you know, I was open, open and honest at the start of the season and throughout it and saying that, for me, that was the objective for, for Ancelotti and his team this season was to you know, fight for the trophy. Disappointing to go out. I, I don't think, you know, performance-wise or you know the manner of us going out is disappointing. But no, nonetheless, it's it is disappointing, isn't it, to to, to go out the FA Cup? Obviously, disappointing to go out at the semi at the quarter-final stage, uh, knowing that a win would take us to Wembley for the for the semi-final. Um, I think we set up all right, though. I think you know, t- t- obviously, a defensive performance from us. I didn't see how else we could have set up uh, tactically. I thought, you know, for eighty-four minutes. Um, it worked, and it was only when they brought on their subs that they sort of managed to manage to break us down. I can't remember them having too many chances during the game. I know they had the one where the keeper made the save in the second half. I can't remember many more apart from that. Um, and obviously, I think the quality just just told in the end when they brought De Bruyne and Mares on. Yeah, well, I'm going to bring a social media question in now. It's from Martin O'Connor, and it was you know fairly quickly after the game, so there might be a bit of emotion in here. But in fact, sorry, it was the next day. I apologise. But he said the game play, game play, game plan Saturday to defend, keep it tight, hope to nick it with a set piece. The chance of this working or holding out for 120 minutes against City is minimal. Um, of course, you can't go gung ho against them, but you have to defend. You have to have a bit more ambition and take a couple of risks. If not, the inevitable as Saturday did happens. Um, surely we should expect a bit more of a game plan from a supposed world class manager. Do you think that's fair? No, I disagree. I think the inevitable would have been if we if we if we tried to match them, we would have got beat three or four. That's the inevitable uh, part about it for me. I don't, as I said before, I don't think we had an option. I think that's the way we set up, you know, playing deep and trying to you know stop the space in between the midfield and the, the centre halves was was the way to do it, and it, and it was working. Obviously, if we get if you get to eighty five minutes and your defensive worked hard, and then you know they start to get tired legs. Uh, it becomes a bit difficult, and I see what he means. If you know, it is hard to do, but it's even harder to to try and match them. Um, it and if we would have took, you know, I think you mean had an header, didn't he? That got cleared off the, off the line. I think if we, if we would have took up one of those chances, it would have been different, and we could have had something more to hold on to. But 
Yeah, I don't think you can have a go at how we set up personally. Um, I, I don't think so either. I mean, even if you just look at the stats alone, you'd expect City to dominate the, the possession. They absolutely did. It was like almost, I think it was 74%. That was always going to be our game plan to try and hit them on the counter. We had 10 shots on goal to their 15, two on target to their six. It's not, you know, it doesn't stink of a proper Marlins, doesn't apart from City having the ball, which they do. Um, there was a conscious effort for me to, to kind of hit the channels early to try and win set plays higher up the pitch. You know, there was obviously some long throw work that had gone in there, yeah. so, you know, Mina being the target and trying to play off him. So, you know, there'd be an argument that maybe it was a little bit um, old school. But again, I agree with you. We, we couldn't go toe-to-toe and play City at their own game. That just wouldn't happen. And our, our only asset or our main asset where we could get at them, well, two really, were, was the pace of Calvert-Lewin and, and Richarlison and obviously in the air from set pieces. And I think to that extent, we utilised that as much as we possibly could, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, you look around the team and, and, and we'll come on to individuals a little bit more in a moment. I even think there was some really good performances in there. I think Andre Gomez was as good as I've seen him in a while in terms of his distribution when he had it. He got about the pitch a little bit more than he usually does. Sigurdsson was quiet, but I think he just does tend to be quiet when we play in that manner doesn't he when we go from back to front I think he'd done what he was asked to do and he'd done yeah. it well I think he, he tracked back well he worked hard he wasn't he wasn't spectacular, you know, spectacular or yeah. on the ball he didn't create much but he'd done what he was asked to do in the team mm. and that's you know took one for the team if you like in terms yeah. of his of his creativity um, but yeah I thought there was some good performance Ben Godfrey stuck out yeah, uh, yeah Gomez played alright um, Al- Alan a few. covers every blade of grass doesn't he and he makes them fouls in areas where you know you need players to make fouls so yeah. you know at one point he's one of them players I think you always feel like he might get sent off because he gets booked quite yeah, early yeah, in the he game did, yeah. but he manages that quite well doesn't he yeah. and, and I think he it's just so frustrating that we've got him back and lost the core eh? because he now lacks that person to kind of cover the bigger distances, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas he, he kind of works in the dangerous pockets. Yeah, and, and Gomez and, and Sigurdsson are never going to be those type of players that, no. you know, do what Decore done. But then again, going back to how, how Ancelotti played, he played for the players he had. And I don't think you can really fault it. Um, yeah, I think I think overall I'm, I'm disappointed that we... You know, we we didn't go through. I think a crowd at Goodison would have changed things as well. Yeah. I think I think if if it were our five game on a Saturday, I think if we would have had a crowd there, I think that would have changed things. There was a couple of points where that, I thought, yeah. oh no, if we get a tackle, get the crowd behind us. Yeah, maybe we'll push on and we'll we'll try and attack a little bit and more. And it, it does sometimes encourage the odd player to get forward a bit more. Doesn't get yeah. in the box thinking, you know, you got the crowd behind you and stuff, and that that momentum that, that you get, and, and you do tend to get when you've got the crowd those like ten minutes periods don't you where like yeah. the, the, the opposition feel a little bit under pressure Yeah. so I agree with that and I think that's took a lot of those kind of shocks away from the FA Cup this year hasn't it you know the, the team's not really being able to have that leveller of you know the intimidating atmosphere yeah. do you know the way you're saying the way you play and all that I sort of I sort of t- disagree a little bit in you being okay with it because I understand if it's a Premier League game where you're alright with a point or, or whatever but in a cup game, we you going out either way. Like, don't you think there's like a little bit of you might as well go for it? But, well, but, yeah. but in, in a, I think in a normal circumstance, as in like any other team, and, I'm, yeah. and it sounds like I'm being dramatic there, but I honestly think any other team we'd have treated it in that manner. And certainly for a probably beyond sixty minutes, you'd have went right. Let's let's throw an extra forward on. But you just know mm-hmm. they've they've got so much abundance of quality that the the odd little the slight little blip. You can score three or four in a period yeah. of time. They've shown that in certain games. Oh, yeah, and Ancelotti's—he's he's a winner, isn't he? he? You know, he wants to win the cup. He's not going out to say, "Oh, we had a good goal and we, you know, we lost." He just wants to win the game as the best way he can. So he's—he's he's not bothered whether it's you know, let's have a go FA Cup wise or whatever. He just—he just wants to get through to the next round, and that was the best way to do it. Was was yeah. the, the the tactics he used. Um, I, I do think having not having the crowd is a massive thing, and as I said before, if we had the crowd, there would have been a little period where we would have pushed on, maybe got a couple of corners, and you know. Glad the street sort of trying to suck the ball in the net and whatever else, but without that, he's, I think he's been as pragmatic as he as he could have been. What did you think or make of the performance of Virginia? Because obviously a lot of pressure on him. Nineteen year old kids, are two goalkeepers, recognised goalkeepers being out. He, he didn't have the 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 best of I suppose performances when when he came on in the last game. Looked a bit shaky. You couldn't really ask for any more of him, could you? He done well. I mean, he, he, I thought he done really well. His, 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 
if you look at his performance and his overall, his, his kicking's not as good as Pickford's, obviously. But any shots, you know, he held them. He did not bounced off them. He made a really good save in the second half. Couldn't do nothing for the goals. Thought he'd done well. He looked, he looked nervous to start with, but I think he looked more comfortable as the game went yeah, on. Yeah, I, I think he put us under a lot of pressure early on. You know, yeah. you know, you could see the players were used to going back to Pickford and Pickford yeah. taking a touch. Assessing the options, yeah. keeping the ball, he literally was bang yeah. with face yeah, time yeah. every time yeah. it comes to him. It was noticeable yeah. that he was thinking, "Get it away from me! Yeah, I don't want to make a mistake." Yeah. Yeah. So I think that did put us under at times a little bit of unnecessary pressure. But I agree with you. I mean, it's obviously still a, an area of concern. I'm not sure how long the, or how long Olsen and and I mean Olsen, you would expect should be back sooner rather than later. It was more of a personal thing for him, yeah. wasn't it? With his pick for, I think it's maybe three or four weeks, or so I'm not sure. He's definitely missing the, the international break, but you know, I, I think for him, it, and, and and I suppose from, from a um, going forwards, he's probably plays himself into another year deal, hasn't he? Because yeah. you're thinking, you know, 19 year old, it's nothing for a keeper that is at 19. No, no, absolutely not. He's, he's you know, he wouldn't have even expected to be near the first team this season. Um, so the fact that he's come in, he's you know, he hasn't embarrassed himself, he's done, he's done well. Um, yeah, I think, I think. I mean, it depends. You know, it's another argument whether we need another first choice goalie or another second choice. But as a third choice keeper, more more than comfortable having him in the squad. I mean, I mean, a lot's been made of um, on social media of the, the options, the abundance of options the city brought off the bench, and it was obviously a big player in in the in the results in the end in terms of, you know, De Bruyne comes off the bench in the 80th minute, they score a goal four minutes later, and another one ten minutes later, uh, him getting the second one as well. It's it's glaringly obvious, isn't it? At the moment, you look at our bench that there's some strength not only in the quality of the first eleven this this summer, but in depth. We probably need a, a little bit of work there in that department, don't we? Yeah, I think I think the the there's players who are getting a game who shouldn't be getting a game. They they should make up the bench probably, yeah. and then even add to quality of that. But it's Ancelotti's first season. I think he's this season. He's tinkered with the team a little bit, but I think it's because he doesn't quite know his, his he's never quite known his first eleven. So. This season's been a lot of getting to know players, getting to know how they play, getting to know personalities, um, and just adding little by little. Obviously, we got a couple of uh, signings last summer. I think he'll do the same this year. Just another two or three into the, of quality players into the squad rather than squad players. They'll be in the first team, and then he'll push the likes of Gomez and Sigurdsson onto the bench. Maybe you know sell one or one of those two, or you know make a bit of money coming in from 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 uh, some someone else maybe. But I think. I think one or two again in the summer of, of real quality and just keep building on. I mean, how long have Man City been been doing that for? They've been doing it for oh, a good, good 10, 12 yeah, years now, haven't they? Yeah. You know, so you get there in the end. It's not it's not an overnight thing. Well, there's a there's another on that note really of, of spending money. An interesting question coming from um, on on social media it was a Twitter Teddy. Yeah, um, and, and basically the question was if you had to sell one of them in the summer, and this is just a bit of fun, I guess, but. Yeah. It's an interesting one to think about. If you'd had to sell one of them in the summer out of Calvert Lewin and Richarlison, who would it be and why? Well, I'd sell I'd sell I'd sell Calvert Lewin out of the two of them. Um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm assuming from the listeners' question that the valuations met for, for either player. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sounds like a blind date question this. <laughs> well yeah, but you know, it, it's the market, isn't it? It's the, it, it depends on the market. If, if we're assuming the market stays as it was and, and COVID away, I think it'd have to be over hundred million for Richardson. I'll stick with that. That's Based only on ha- half the amount of the original two hundred million. No, valuation. two hundred million was when I was Off coming up with a valuation of the squad <laughs> and I was left with Richardson in the end and I was like, Oh, two hundred million for Richardson now. Well it was based I've, I've on stopped. the fact that you'd rejected you've already rejected what? Hundred million? Yeah. Close to hundred million for Richarlison. So uh, again, let's just say that it's it's over a hundred million. I I still think that he's got more to his game and there's more to come from him. Whereas you know I think the leaps that Richarlison uh, Calvert Lewin's made this year, and I'm the same boat as you, Pricey. I think he's come obviously very far, but I still still think there's so many aspects of his game where I don't think he's ever going to be there. Do, do you know what I mean? Um, I'm, and, and I'm not saying at this point, and, and just to be clear. We're just answering the listener's question. Yeah. I'm not saying I want to sell Calvert Lewin, by the way, and I'm delighted with what he's done. I just think that as a centre forward and as a forward, I would like other aspects of his game to be better, or I would like our number nine to be better at certain things. Yeah, he's he's definitely a, he's a box player, and he out of the two of them, I agree. Richarlison's the one who's got more potential to improve as well, even though he's probably a better player now as well. He's got more potential to improve. He can play at number nine. He can play. You can put him wide. Uh, Calvert Lewin's a 
centre forward, isn't he? That's, you know that's, what? that's all he does. Need to play to his strengths. You know what? Though, like I heard you, I listened to the podcast last week, and I want, even though we're here, I wanted to butt in when I was listening to it to say, for the longest time. Calvert-Lewin was Everton Borough box player Everton Borough goal yeah, scorer no, no, no. but now he's scoring goals you're saying he can't do anything else no, I, I like Calvert-Lewin I, I'm not, I'm not, I was just answering the question I'm a big fan of Calvert-Lewin yeah, but what I'm saying no, but is the, the, before he started scoring goals everyone was like he's Everton Borough goal scorer and now that he started scoring goals everyone's saying he's nothing no but it was, the, it, was the, it was the role he was playing when he wasn't a goal scorer it was, he, he was in there to run the channels hold the ball up work hard etc etc he was doing it in wide areas now he's playing centrally He's obviously scoring goals, you know, he's getting his goals and like you say, we're not complaining about him, but it starts to isolate different aspects of his game of the link-up play. If you're that central man, you are responsible. Yeah, Yeah. you're responsible for for getting the the best out of your central attacking players. So the ball coming into you and laying it off, which sounds like a very simple thing. Back to goal football is different. It's it's different. And and then when you drop into that midfield position, which you do if you're playing central so much, and the other team press high up the pitch, it ends up being in the centre of the pitch. And naturally, you're all linking more of the play together and you become a bit of a combination. It's like, like you're picking it up, you're expected to to, to, to pass a little bit more and switch the play. He's obviously really good at something other than scoring because that's why he was in the team. I think, I think it, the, the, holding the ball up and bringing people in, he's a lot better now than he was than he, than he was last season. I think he's improved a lot at it. Um, and I, I do think he'll get better. What is he? Twenty twenty three? Is he? So yeah, something like that. I think he's got. He's. He'll, I think he'll get better. I think he's like Judge just said there. The, the the improvement he's made from this time last season to now is massive, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I think I just think he'll get better. I'm, I'm a big fan of him. I'm not. I'm not dissing him by saying he's he's just a number nine. He is a number nine. That's his position. Mm. But in terms of going <clears> back to the question with him and Richarlison. The reason why I get rid of him is versatility, and it's easier to replace Calvert Lewin. I agree. It's it's easier to go in the market and find another number nine who's who's, who's a centre forward. Do you know what I mean? So I, that's what I get. But I'm not. I think it's an interesting question because I think there's a number of players in that squad now where, you know, are tied down to fairly long term contracts, and although we don't <coughs> need to sell them, it would be it'd be an interesting proposition for Ancelotti to get. Well, you get a hundred million here, and you can go and buy three players. Mm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like the likes of maybe Luca Dino, I know is has just signed a long term contract, but you know we all but we all know that signing them long term contracts isn't doesn't mean they're staying at the club. It just means the club's got a better valuation yeah. of them if, if they're going to go. They can command a bigger fee. So you've got you know Luca Dean to a certain ex, to a certain extent the two players we, we've just mentioned. Then there's you know. Godfrey's quickly becoming a, a massive asset because of his age and because of his, you know, in, increasing profile. So, uh, even though, like, to be clear, we haven't brought that up. It's not something we're we're contemplating. We want to keep them players because one, they're young, and and two, that they're, they're, they're going to improve, aren't they? Hopefully, along with the team. Yeah, and I, it's more about getting rid of the the squad players who are on big wages for me than yeah. than, than selling a, a you know a, a young a marquee player yeah. if you like yeah, and yeah. getting rid of them and getting money because I don't think we need. No money for, to to make money in order to, no, to, no. to buy players. I think it's more the you know the squad who are on big wages. It's balance. It's a balancing it up, isn't it? Yeah, bit? yeah. And I think I think you know you talk about Dinier and, and Godfrey as being probably head and shoulders above a lot of the other players on the pitch most weeks. I think I'd be interested in obviously bringing in quality. We're going to match them rather than yeah. having to sell them in order. Yeah, to that's it. You, you, you don't you don't really go forwards if you're having to or. You, if you end up selling no. your better players. Yeah, interesting one to think about. And again, um, let us know your thoughts on social media. But in the main, obviously disappointing to, to go out of the FA Cup. I think me and Pricey are pretty unanimous in in, in, in our, our view that we feel as though Ancelotti has, has approached the game in the right way. I think there's, there's one last question, I think, that, to add in there, which was, which was just before the show, which was from Richie. Um, Richie's suggesting that... Um, we were a little bit too dismissive on this show. It's probably more me, it's certainly more me and Millsy than, than yourself, Pricey, about dismissing David Moyes as, as being an option after Marco Silva. Um, do we feel a little bit foolish for that, having seen the job he's done at West Ham? He points out that our midfield could learn a lot by watching how ruthless they are in winning the ball back, breaking up play and then hurting teams quickly. Something Everton under Carlo Ancelotti are light years away from. Um, I can see where he's coming from in the sense that, you know, David Moyes' West Ham team are very different to, in the mentality. of we, We've we've had a David Moyes team and we remember the, the attributes and the qualities of that team. Would I want to go back to that? And and do I think that's that's a move that would take us forward to the club? No. Is it working for West Ham? Absolutely. How sustainable is that model in getting you beyond that fifth place? It has always been the question for me with David Moyes' teams. 
And I think I, I'll still hang my hat on it. There'll be a problem that West Ham will have to, to break through that threshold. But what, what do you make of that? You know, the, the, the kind of comparison with of David Moyes' West Ham and, and Ancelotti's Evan. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to swap Ancelotti for Moyes. Um, I think Moyes is doing well. Moyes is a good manager. I like yeah. Moyes when he, when he was at Everton. And West Ham are starting to look like a Moyes, a Moyes team in terms, like he said, they're aggressive. They break the, uh, get the ball back quickly. Um, but if you're asking me if I would have rather a David Moyes team or an Ancelotti team, Ancelotti's, and it's not an Ancelotti team at the moment. It's going no. to take, as I said, it's going to take another one transfer. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's one point. Moyes had nearly. Not, nearly uh, no, no I'm not saying he's had longer. He's just. I think he's just. He's just formed the team. He's brought in a couple of players who, 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 who suit. You know that Suchek is a the, yeah, yeah. Lad. He's a he's a Moyes type sign, and he's, yeah, he's he brought and, in and the fullback who's another another player from Slavia Prague. He's yeah, another like proper Moyes sign. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not saying he's had more time than Ancelotti, but I mean. I'd rather when Ancelotti's got it, got his team together in the way that the style that he wants to play. I'd rather watch that every week than a Moyes team. And it's what also Moyes fair to together. say that some of the players which you're probably getting at that were already there were, were Moyes type players anyway. You know, Declan Rice, who he's converted from a centre back to a midfielder. Declan Rice before Moyes come in said, "I feel more comfortable as a centre back." He's now saying, "Actually, I feel better as a midfielder because I've got Suchek alongside me." Yeah. You've got Antonio who runs the channels like yeah. a proper Davy Moyes number nine. Like you say, they've got loads of players around around who, who roll the sleeves up. You've got the brought in Lingard, who's been like the peanut, hasn't he? You know, kind of a yeah. little bit more quality. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't disagree. I think the listeners got a good point in relation to, I suppose, how dogged they are in midfield, and, and we've complained that our midfield maybe aren't as industrious as they need to be. But, like you say, I, I don't think he's got the players to be able to kind no. of stamp his own mark the, on that no. team yet, has he? They're, they're doing well, but, it, you know. Remains to be seen how, how long it lasts for and whether they can push on past the, the top four because you can never get us past the top four. Fair enough. And, and speaking of top four, which is obviously something Liverpool have, have achieved a few times in the last few years, brings us on to the Champions League draw. Um, you've got to be pleased with that, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, if, if you were looking at it, you know, going into that draw, then you were obviously wanting to be on the right side of it, you know, like mm. in, in terms away of... Away from the buy-ins. Away from your buy-ins, your PSGs, your cities, you know, and... Maybe not Dortmund, because, you know, with all due respect, Dortmunds haven't been great this season. They look like they're in a bit of a slump, don't they? But certainly them other three were the three big, you know, ones that you... I don't the the name, Sandy. but they're the three sides that, yeah. you know, you, you wanted to avoid. So we've definitely landed on the right side of the draw. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that if we'd handpicked it, we, you know, it was as good as that, but we've got to be happy, haven't we? Real Madrid and Chelsea isn't, isn't exactly easy pickings. But the thing is about when I look at Liverpool in the Champions League, I don't necessarily think, when I think about who might put us out, I don't think of like the, the, the Bayerns and the PSGs. I always think it's going to be someone Athletic a bit snide who's going, to put me, who's going to put us out because we proper get up for them big, massive immense European occasions we always get up with the crowd with the crowd yeah so the crowd is the difference this time but genuinely I don't care when it gets to the quarter final I don't care like you look at Liverpool's like all our European runs and, and when we won the Champions League and all that it didn't matter in them years who we got and when and stuff we might have had the odd favourable um, last 16 draw I think we've had but we've never had it easy from the quarters onwards no. and you know and it hasn't made any difference um, and you know, thinking back to when we were kids and teams that put us out like uh, Leverkusen and Celta Vigo and all, that, I just don't associate Liverpool going out to Europe with tough opposition. I don't <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> what you're saying. I think a large part of it is, you know, the crowds and the emotion of the occasion. I think mm. our, our Liverpool have seemed to have dealt with that better than the other big teams, you know, who've came and, and, and they've sort of choked on it, you know, yeah. drowned on it, on the yeah. heat of the, the emotion. City, notably, you know, in the yeah. last couple of seasons when we came up against them in, in the Champions League, it's been a very different beast than when we played them in the league. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's definitely something about, you know, the, the crowd element um, that I think is, you know, feeds into what you're saying there. This season... I, without the crowds and given the Jekyll and Hyde form that you know we're in particularly since you know January when we've just yeah. almost gone to bits um, it's hard to say isn't it you yeah. just don't know what Liverpool are going to turn up and, and you know whether you know we're going to be able to get up for it in the same way for them occasions you'd hope so because you'd hope that these players feel a bit angry you know yeah. without the season sort of gone and, and it's almost like this is a way for us to put it right you know like sort of 
So the thing is, if you are ever going to get proper up for a game, it would be a final, wouldn't it? So I suppose giving ourselves the best chance to face one of these big teams in a final is the best chance of beating one of them teams the way it's going at the moment. And also, I don't know, is there any chance there could be crowds at the final or a certain number of people? I, I doubt it with like the whole thing about different countries moving about. and that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's been any word from UEFA if that happened. I think no. it'd be a little bit... Yeah, it's meant to be with the FA Cup finals, and I know it's a yeah, different but that's, thing. it's different it's in one country, one isn't country, it? So, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I'm not sure. But I mean, just yeah. looking at you know the actual. You'll be starting to plan that cross your events. Start canoeing now. With you, like. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you're just looking at the you know the actual tie itself, Madrid. I think we're we're classed as the away team first, aren't we? Yeah. And it's a, it's not at the Bernabeu, but it's 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 in Spain, isn't it? Because oh, I, didn't they, know I think that. they've had yeah they've had clearance off the Spanish government. They said they're going to lift the restrictions at the end of March. So whereas Atletico, I think when they played Chelsea, they mm. had to um, sort of do it in a neutral venue. Still in Hungary, they, weren't it? Yeah. yeah, but Hungary's like the, 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 the safest <laughs> yeah. place in the world, apparently now. <laughs> but I think the Madrid game, so the first <laughs> leg will be in Spain. Um, as I say, it's not at the Bernabeu because they've been playing at the training ground. Mm. I think, yeah. haven't they? Um, but you know, I think it's it's important that isn't it? You know that you go away first, and and because we, we I think we said it on the podcast was it a week or two ago, and we were saying like you know the away goals rule, it, it, oh, yeah. it, it can swing to your advantage in extra time, and particularly this season where ordinarily it's well you're at home the second leg, so that's how they sort of even it out with no fans. The home advantage means nothing really, no. does it? So it is better to be, I think you know, like the the, the sort of the away team, yeah. You certainly don't want to be playing at Anfield at all and it hasn't gone too well for you. So. No, that's but true. where will we be playing? Will we? That's that's another thing for the second leg. Will we be playing that in Hungary again? Or, or, or yeah, at the moment, I think I think, it, out, I think it is still in the in the you know that neutral venue thing. As I, I still don't think the UK government has give clearance for mm. European teams. Who's a pest and you Cardiff? Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's like, look that like that, isn't it? But um, but you know, if you look at, the, I think Madrid. What are they third in the league at yeah. the moment? A couple of points, six points behind Barca, six points behind. I've seen them a few times in the Champions League, and Very the most me. thing I can say about them is they found a way to mm. win. Look a bit ponderous. Look like us, a little yeah, bit donkey. Yeah. You know, yeah. like in terms of slow and you know, like the, the football's not looking very incisive yeah. and the stuff. Two so. teams in a similar type of. They're not the team that that, that beats us. Um, the other year, you know, it's not that team, but this is the first time we've played them since, isn't it? So, so all that revenge is, is the, on the, the thing on the is, table, you yeah. say they're not the same team, almost man for man, they are, and that's kind of part of the problem. They've got the likes of Tony Cruz and Modric who are, who are starting to go the, the wrong side of the hill, yeah, if you like. And, and Ramos is still like the main man at the back. Benzema, got some, mm. Benzema's for me, is still the best he's player, still boss, that, he's, he's the yeah. best player in that size. And I was actually, when I was speaking to another Reds about it, I think he would be the one I'd be most concerned about with your lack of you know proper centre backs. Benzema being the wily old fox, Clever. I think he could really, you know, really hurt you. But I, I think man for man. You shouldn't really have a mad thing. I know it's mad to say about Real Madrid, but man for man, you shouldn't really have. Well, Ramos and Varane is not an easy night, you know. At the back, is it? Varane, 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 Varane. <laughs> Varane. Varane. I get to run away, Ronnie, Ronnie, Varane. Yeah, but he's a he's a he's a quality centre yeah. half, any. So it, that's a tough night for anyone, but. Yeah, I mean, I think we can beat them, Terry. I mean, there's, there's no reason why we can't. There's no reason why we shouldn't go there confident. confident. No, I mean, you know, over over two legs as well. You know, I think I made the point. Like, we've got most of our players back now. You know, mm. obviously we're missing Gomez and Van Dijk, who you'd say are the two, you know, starters that we're missing. Yeah. Everyone else is pretty much available. Um, So, besides I, Henderson, but there's every chance that he might be back. Yeah, maybe not for the first leg, but possibly, you know, for yeah. the second leg. So... It, it's one of them where I think uh, I take your point what you're saying with Benzema against our centre backs. You know it could be it could be ruthless, but the thing is the the way to stop Benzema is to, is to kill the supply, and that's going to be where the issue is in the midfield whether we can whether we can quite do that. But with Fabinho in there, uh, Fabinho and Henderson, I'd be a lot more confident. But with Fabinho, but Thiago, look, he, he's more of a European player, and he so he seems than a Premier League player than what we've seen so far. So he might sort of excel in them type of fixtures. Yeah, and I, I, it'll be interesting if Fabinho and Henderson are both fit where they play, because you know I think we were having this discussion with one of our mates, weren't we? And and I think you'd see Fabinho go back into the defensive line to be honest. And, yeah, and I think it'd be a Henderson, Wijnaldum, Thiago midfield. I don't, I can't see Klopp. You know, going against Madrid and playing Fabinho and Henderson in the middle, and who, who would you put with them, Thiago or Wijnaldum? 
Thiago. Well, whoever. So when you've Robert. got all of them available, though, mm. would you not stiffen up the back yeah, line? Yeah, you would. You wouldn't play yeah, him. No, I think that's silly. It's partnerships, isn't it? Why, why is putting a midfielder in there stiffening up? I think Fabinho was a bit more the of a better, sure, safer, better yeah, than Phillips more experienced, yeah. you know, in the competition. And, and I think over two legs, it's about managing the whole. It's a different, it's a different, you know, you know more than anyone. It's, it's a different competition. It's a different mentality. I, 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 I don't think, not I, like that. You can't just throw a random centre midfielder into it's those. It's not random. He's done it for all the season, though, hasn't he? So it, that's the if thing. It will be by then. No, I, I, I think in the league, you, you'll see Klopp, you know, play Fabinho in the middle now, you know, and, and he'll probably try and get a partnership going. But I think over a two-legged affair against Madrid, if, if this is obviously predicated on Henderson and Fabinho both being fit, um, mm. I think you would see, you know, a Henderson, Thiago, Wijnaldum midfield and, and a Fabinho alongside, you know, a Cabajo or a Phillips at the back, mm. I think. Because I think, if you're being honest, you know, as much as we cried and cried to get Fabinho into the middle, and I agree, it looked game-changing, you know, when he's gone in there, it, it does change things. I think... The pragmatist in most Liverpool fans will probably say it, that's your that's your strongest eleven. You know, it, it yeah, would be possibly. getting both of them on the pitch. If you're putting both Henderson and Fabinho in the middle, you're dropping one of Wijnaldum or Thiago. So, I, I, you know, it, it it it's again what one do you do you drop out of them? Two? Form Thiago, isn't it? Yeah, it makes more sense know. to put Fabinho centre back in that situation. I, I think so. I, I think, think against so. Real Madrid, it does it for me. Like only in that as I just a one-off. Don't think yeah. you gain much. I think what you do, what you gain by playing Henderson and Fabinho is. That's how you say solve the problem of Benzema for me. You cut off the supply, and the best way to cut off the supply is Wijnaldum, Fabinho, and and Henderson, and then you know hopefully Phillips and 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 Kabak don't have much to deal with. But you put Fabinho in there, who's who's likely to give a foul away or a pen or something like that, and you're not quite yeah. as stiff in the midfield. It's just not what I would do. But I take your point. I can see it's seniority and all that, and. He's it's, it's, allegedly the you know the, the better defender of the three, and it's it's com it's it's comfort in terms of you know experience, Trent and stuff like that as well. Yeah. You know them areas where you want you you still want your attacking weapons, which means you want Trent offering uh, you know a forward threat. And I don't know with someone like Benzema running, you've got Phillips and have we and not learned no that's about cutting off the supply? We've had we've had Fabinho in the back for, like throughout this whole summer, but it hasn't it didn't help us one. But drop. we have, but we haven't really had a Henderson, Wijnaldum, Thiago yeah. middle. Yeah. You know that's the thing. We've had both sort yeah. of. You know we haven't really had an opportunity to play that midfield either. Yeah. So it's uh, I think with both of them fit, uh, I think we you know you probably will see. Um, and obviously, do you know the date? Do you know the date? I don't know the actual date of the, of the fixture. Okay, yeah, I think it's um, for Henderson to be back by then. I think that's optimistic, isn't it? Um, well, I, I think the the initial it's the sixth of April, so it probably is a little bit a little bit ambitious. But when Henderson first got injured, I think they said it, it's it's a four to eight weeks. Yeah, um, and they haven't actually came out and, and clarified. I think it probably is going to be a second leg opportunity, maybe okay. um, as opposed to the first one, given that. It's such a big game as well. He'd be coming in cold, you know, without much football. So there's some chat online. Van Zyke could be back. No, I know it's nonsense. That's a nonsense like, but yeah. to come back and get injured. No, the problem is we don't want him back because he'll get sent off to the uh, to the Euros. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but no, you know, in terms of that, we can't really grumble too much. You know, that was the the original point, the original question. Uh, what side of the draw we've landed on? Who we've got? I think Madrid is. You know, it, as Phil said, there's there's little little plots, subplots there after, you know, the final against them and stuff and, and you know, they're not in great form, we're not in great form. It's one of them. It could go either way really. Um but see what happens. But, you know, always, always confident in that Champions League because it's high scoring or low scoring, what do you reckon? Uh, I actually think I think low. it'll be low scoring, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I just could think go it, it always goes the opposite way. And I think like yeah. Terry says, I think the managers know each other very well now. Even though this is a, a difference you know, Real Madrid, Real Madrid side, they're still going to play in, in a similar, you know, similar vein. Mm. Um, and I, I just think he, either manager will probably be working very hard to counter, counteract the other. I think that may lead to a, a surprisingly low mm. low scoring yeah. tie. Yeah, I, 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 I think it might be low scoring. I don't know. Mm. But I mean, there's, it, there's more than enough um, ammunition both sides for it to be the opposite. And there's, there's more than enough... More than enough uh, I think mistakes in both defences for it to be the yeah. opposite as well. True. But yeah, interesting one. Um, I, I, th I think, I suppose on the other side of the draw, I, th I, th I don't know how City will be feeling. For me, they're, they're the favourites. I don't know. I know, like, it, it probably changes the dynamic when he gets to the final, particularly if they face Hughes. And, then, and you know, the pressure will be massively on them because they've obviously never won it and, and Hughes have won it so many times. So I, I think City, more than anything else, will be 
almost having as much an eye on the other side of the draw as they will their own games, thinking, please don't get through Liverpool. Yeah. They'd rather play yeah, Chelsea, wouldn't they? I don't or, think you can make City favourites based on just like their mentality, their European mentality, like what I we've think seen today. It's, it's hard to get the first one, isn't it? Yeah. And City are at that. Mm. They haven't got that first, that first Champions League, and until they get it, they're going to be nervous. They'll be nervous if they beat Dortmund and they face, you know, PSG or, or Bayern in the semis. They're going to be nervous because the the pressure's there, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I just they're think they're the best team in the world at the moment. On paper, I would on paper, say, yeah, right but now, if, if they come up form. against Bayern in the semis, I yeah. think I fancy Bayern just. As you say, mentality-wise, yeah, mentality. I, I just think that pressure's off them a bit without the fans. I think it's a different, they're a different animal. They're the best team, you know, and, and it's almost without them. It's taking a variable, why aren't you? Yeah, without that sort of real pressure of going somewhere, you know, in front. If you, they were going to like Bayern's grounds, and you know, you've got sixty thousand there or something, and you you feel the occasion. Pressure under pressure, though. Playing in like a training grounds yeah, environment, is, yeah. it yeah. suits the best players and the best team. You know, Eventually, so, yeah, the cream the cream does rise to the top, doesn't it? It's easier to shake off mistakes. You know, it just it just it blunts it a little bit where you haven't got a you haven't got that same sort of I imagine. Do you think the pressure could be on Pep so much that he tinkers or something like that though? No, the pressure will be on Pep. That that's that's what they need to win, don't they? They need to win the Champions League. Yeah. So they'll definitely be have the pressure on. But in terms of tinkering, I, I don't see it because they've been so good in the Champions League, haven't they? Yeah. Just he, keep it. I think he's got the balance right this year. You know, so far, obviously, there's still he's still got to get over the line in all the competitions, but. Yeah, so I think it's a, an exciting draw for the for the neutral as much as, as anyone else, which obviously for me and you, isn't it, Pricey? We'll be just rooting for, for good football in all of the games and, and hoping to see uh, the worthy champions at the end of it, whoever that may be, yeah. apart from Liverpool. Um, but yeah, that, that, we'll move on from there anyway. Um, obviously, no no games to, to preview this week with the unfortunate international break, which we all love. Um, but we are going to look look at the, the look back at the week in history as we as we do so often now, um, and Everton's one is building on from last week. Really, we we spoke about David Moyes' first home game against Fulham, which was a two-one victory. Um, this one, Price, we take you back to his first away game, which was a four-three victory against Derby. Um, David Unsworth, as as he did in the previous game, opened opened the score, and we went three-nil up and and four-one up at, at one point, and and almost ends up drawing the game four-all. Um, I, I was in the away end that day. Uh, I was only seventeen, I think, at the time. And I think you said your your dad has a good story about about getting up getting up to the game as well, didn't he? Yeah, my dad turned up at Goodison the, the morning of the game. Just fancied on the off chance, seeing if he can get a ticket at Goodison. He used to be able to do and, and drive up to Pride Park. So as he's in the queue for the t- for the at the box office, of the park end, some fella clearly. Uh, been drinking all night, <laughs> put it that way. Jumped, <laughs> fell out of a black taxi, <coughs> walked up to my dad and said to my dad, you in, you in your car? My dad said, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in my car. All right, well, if you take me to Pride Park, I'll pay, pay for your ticket, pay for your petrol, pay for all your food, buy a couple of bevies. You have to take me there and then bring me home. <laughs> my dad was like, yeah, son, go ahead, go ahead. This fella got his wad out of his, out of his pocket, got my dad his ticket, done exactly as he said, paid his petrol, got my dad a couple of pints before it. And obviously, my dad drove home and we'd won 4 3, so it was a good day all around for Mr. Price. Legend. Yeah. Legend. <laughs> Quality story. Yeah, it was, and it was, it was a good day, to be fair. It was one of, one of my most memorable away games because you know, the atmosphere was brilliant. Really good feeling about the place. And it's always great when, I mean, we, we spoke about it briefly uh, last week. And again, well wishes to, to Walter Smith because I know, I believe he's still in hospital, so hopefully he's doing well. But towards the end of his, his, his tenure, it was pretty depressing going to away games. It was always like we might score one, but majority of the time we wouldn't score. And, and they were always very low scoring games. So the, the the first few weeks and months under Moise, it was like, not going cold, but it was like it was loads of aggression, wasn't it? And we were just yeah. getting forwards. And I was looking back at some of the highlights of the game before just to try and refresh my memory of the game itself. And, and it was just like, it was proper throwback stuff, getting the ball wide, getting crosses in, throwing men forwards. And a very exciting game, obviously, 4-3. Alex Anderson must have had his best game in a blue shirt because he looked like a proper, the winger I was expecting us, him to be when, when we got him. Must have been the, certainly one of the better games he had for us. But, you know, the, the players on the score sheet, Unsworth, David, um, Alan Stubbs has scored a whopping free kick. Ferguson scored a good goal as well, yeah. and 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 as I say, Alexanderson was on the score sheet. But and the mood was bouncing as well after that. I remember, 
obviously it didn't go the game like you did, but I remember the feeling at the next at the following game. We won the first two under Moyes, and it was like the weight had been lifted off the club, and we just yeah. felt dead positive. And like you say, it was a throwback. Everyone was the full of players. All seemed to be a lot more up for it. All jumping on board with what Moyes wanted to do, and it just felt it felt boss. I remember them few weeks just feeling great. It was yeah, really good times, and you know you spoke about Moyes's um, reign in general. He, he was a, he was a brilliant manager for us at a very very difficult time for the club. I don't think many managers could have done what he done in that period of time, and, and we do we do own for that. But definitely one of the the good memories very early on in in his reign, and you know one one of many um, good performances he produced away from home against against the weaker teams. I think it's, it's fair to say his record against the, the big sides away from home wasn't fantastic, was it? But he generally found a way, didn't he, against against those teams below us to, to get results. Yeah, results against the top of six was always the thing he could never quite do, wasn't it? Never pushes on that next yeah. level. But yeah, overall, massive fan of Moyes. Like you say, that period of time when he took over from when he left, you know, not only did he not only did he guide us through it, he, we were thriving under him. To be fair, uh, and my little memory from from that day, I say my little memory because there wasn't much memory of it. I was I was only seventeen, but I was I was certainly consuming alcohol. <laughs> The, um, at, at that point, and I, I remember going back to uh, my mate's cousin's 18th after it, like kind of sneaking in, trying to get a drink and all, because I'm very, very young looking, 17 year old, I think I look about 12, <laughs> looked about 12 to be honest. So I'm trying, trying to get a drink and trying to keep the keep the momentum going from the day, but brilliant day. And he, he was a big blue, Andy Shields, um, still goes to all, all the games. So um, it is actually Andy's birthday today, so happy birthday, Andy <laughs> Shields! I actually popped up on my Facebook this morning, so if he's listening, or if anyone anyone knows knows him, who's listening, then um, let him know that he's mentioned he was mentioned on the podcast. Yeah, happy birthday, Andy! Yeah, legend, proper proper blue Andy. Um, so Reds, a um, little, little bit different for, for for you lads, but I'll let you bring it in. Yeah, so I mean, it it is a little bit different. Like you, sound like you know your week in history was all about the hope for the future. Um, and I guess you know it, it was similar for us. It was you know this week in history in two thousand and seven. Um, it was when the club announced that George Gillette Junior and Tom Hicks basically now owned ninety eight percent of the club shares, and they were able to compulsory acquire the remaining you know share outstanding shares. And I think Rick Parry came out that week and, and basically was like the incredibly high level of acceptance of the offer shows shareholders have faith in the vision outlined for the club by George Gillette and, and Tom Hicks. So basically, you know, that was this week in history was the point that they almost formally took over Liverpool. Yeah. You know, got the, the you know, all of the shares were, were basically going to them. How did you feel on that week, Phil? Because, you know. Yeah, I remember thinking, um, won Champions League 2005 and then. I remember going, oh my God, that's it now. Like, who are we going to buy? And I thought, you know, we were going to get Luis Figo was mentioned, uh, which I was over the moon about. And then nothing really happened. And then we got Crouch. And then that was when I first started to think, like, we're not, as a club, we're not in a position to capitalise on um, in terms of the on-field success that we were having, um, which was really frustrating, I remember feeling. So, where, you know, when Hicks and Gillette came in, you were starting to think, you know, you heard they were big money men, billionaires and all that. And just like any club when they get bought by billionaires, um, you think, don't you? It's all, all kinds of, who, who, who might we sign? Who might who might we be able to get? And can we can we go on to the next level? And I did sort of trust Parry in that. Like, I thought he'd, be, he'd do his due diligence and make sure that, you know, Liverpool were going to be in, in good hands. So I, I have full trust in that. I can't remember how soon the alarm bells come out about, like, well, have they actually put their own money in or, you know, or what? I can't remember whether we knew that at the time or not. No, I'm so I, I think it, when, <coughs> when I think, think back to that period, like, as you say, you know, after we won it in 2005 and we didn't really capitalise on that success and then, you know, Hicks and Gillette are coming in. We'd had a lot of, heard a lot of rumours about DIC hadn't me Dubai International oh, Capital yeah. and, and, you know, we knew that they was, there was serious money there, you know, almost... Felt like probably what City have got now at yeah. the time. It would have been, you know, that sort of level. Um, and that looked like a done deal until the very last second, didn't it? And then yeah. it was like, Gillette came in with his bid and then he partners up with Hicks. And I think it was only when Hicks got on board that it, it felt like, well, we know he's serious. Because I think Gillette always felt like a little bit of the poor relation of the two. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we, weren't, we weren't too embossed that season, but we, we were a force in Europe. And obviously we reached the Champions League mm-hmm. final that season mm-hmm. against AC again. So... I, I think, you know, when all of this news of the, of the Yanks coming in and, and the money and stuff, it, it, it did feel like we're going to kick on. You know, yeah. this is, you know, there was hope looking forward and, and sort of thinking they're going to bring big money to the table, you know, going to allow us to really build on, 
you know, what we've got. Yeah. We've got in Rafa Benitez, a top manager. You and, know. and were you thinking as well, like Liverpool hadn't been the best at capitalising commercially up to that point, and you're thinking it's opening doors in America and all that. Exactly, yeah. Cause take us to the next level. We've always felt like a bit of a cottage industry, haven't we? Yeah. You know, owned by the Moors family. It was yeah. all a bit like sort of, you know... Yeah. Family owned yeah, business. Yeah, <laughs> a, bit, a bit behind the time. So yeah. I think, you know, I, I was quite optimistic. Um I don't think there was necessarily alarm bells from what I remember, you know, at that time. You know, I think we knew that the Americans were a bit more of a ruthless proposition. You know, mm. we'd seen what the Glaziers had done at Man yeah. U and stuff like that. But I think they made all the right noises. Yeah. You know, the spades want to be in the grounds on the stadium and all that sort of palaver. The new mm. image of the stadium came out, look, Boston. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. So I think it was only once we got a bit further down the line where the financing for the stadium started to get impacted by the financial crisis that developed in 2007-2008 and that's when you realised yeah. everything these were doing was on tick yeah. you know like it was yeah. all basically on on, on, yeah. on, on slavery yeah, yeah. And, and you know they were going to use the club as, as basically yeah. mortgage the club to, yeah. to, to fund all of their sort of stuff and that's when the because like Abra- really Abramovich had bought Chelsea at this point hadn't he and uh, City's owners Coming by then, um, I don't know whether Shinawatra, the Thai fella that took yeah, over City at that there, point, yeah. so yeah. they'd started to spend money. Yeah, you know, they weren't quite on the level after that now, but they'd started to yeah. sort of spend. Some so money. you you had the feeling that you, everyone felt like, well, unless we secure a billionaire investor, then we're just gonna get left behind. So it felt like an essential what had to yeah. happen, didn't it? Yeah, and and you know, it, it's just looking back now it's, it's so naive weren't it you know like and, and I think Liverpool fans have been a lot more circumspect with FSG and stuff because it's like once bitten twice shy sort of thing yeah, it? Yeah. but I think looking back you know this week in history it was it, it was a hopeful week and also a pr- the start of a pretty dark period yeah. Um, so yeah but possibly an essential one you know for, for football in general not just Liverpool because Everyone will look back on that and say, like, even Liverpool nearly went under, yeah, you know, financially. Yeah. So, like, it showed football clubs how to do business, didn't it? Yeah, and what not to do, basically. So, yeah. it was probably crucial. I think it did, yeah. I think it showed that even the big clubs can be subject to the chances, yeah. you know what I mean? And if you get it wrong, you know, it, 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 yeah. it, it, could, be, it could be curtains, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, not 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 the best best thing to look back on on a week in history, but certainly an important one, as you say, in the recent the recent sort of timeline of the club, and and you know, at the time, you know, it, it was probably a more hopeful feeling than yeah. looking back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, but well, no, we've got. Um, thanks for that. So that was our, our week in history uh, for the listeners. If you want to kind of send in your your memories of those weeks, and if you recall any of them, probably probably more so the Everton one than that boring Liverpool one we just had. Then. <laughs> um, no, no. Obviously, as always, we welcome your your comments and and your, and your messages via social media or or, or through the website. Um, before before we move on, I know you've got a, a Liverpool social media. Yeah, question, we, had, we had a couple of social media. We had a load of Everton ones. What have we kind of addressed most of them yeah. about the game? But, yeah, we we. we, we we put them into the game and we obviously asked the question about Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. Right. Well, we'll, ju- we'll just skim over these, Terry, then. So, um, do the Reds think that Trent deserved to be dropped by Gareth Southgate? Um, obviously, Stephen Gerrard come out straight away in the, in the press and said uh, he thinks he's the best left-back in the country. Right-back. Right-back. World-class, <laughs> in fact. So, um, do you think he, deserves, he hasn't been up to his normal form this season? Obviously, Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier, um, ahead yeah. of him. Uh, well, I mean... First and foremost, you know, everyone who listens to the podcast knows I've been critical of Trent. You know, I don't think he's been in great form and stuff like that. Um, but if you're turning around and saying that you're dropping players on form, you're not putting Kieran Trippier in the squad because he's been injured. He hasn't been playing. And suspended, wasn't he, for a bit as well? Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, what's he done? I think he's played about four games or something recently, like, in you know, out of their season. So, for me... It, it, Southgate trusts him, though, doesn't he? He's, he's played well for Southgate before. If you're going to use the form excuse, then yeah, it goes out the window, but I think it's more yeah, about he's he, a Southgate player. Well, he's done, he done an interview with TalkSport, didn't he, not so long ago. It was at Adrian Zorham um, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about like what was going to influence his decision in terms of picking players. And, and most of the points seem quite obvious, but one of the points he went out of his way of making trust. is players that I've worked with and I trust and then I know fit in to my system and, and the way that I see this team playing, which kind of alludes to the likes of Lingard getting another chance because he's worked with Lingard, you know, the 21s and, and he's had him, 
you know, previously with England, and that might be one of the reasons why Trippier, because he, he was the. Don't you think that's a dangerous approach for an, yeah. an international manager to take? Because it basically says you're getting picked if you're one of my boys. Yeah, he, he, you, know he, well, you know, I don't think he was making that as the only point, but he he, he kind of made that point to justify, I think, yeah. some of the picks like Trippier and, and even Lingard. You know, obviously he's had a real purple patch for West Ham, but that's that's followed up 18 months of dross from Man yeah. United. So it's like, is, yeah, that, is no, that the type of. And message then, you, know, you want to send to all the players who've consistently performed well for the last year or so. I think so. the Lingard one, though, there's quite a few injuries to that position. I don't think he'd get a game if Madison was fit or mm. if Grealish was fit. I don't think he'd get a game. Grealish is injured, isn't he? Grealish is injured, yeah. yeah. So, and then you've got... Uh, Deli Alli isn't... Deli Alli. Is Deli Alli in there as well, though? No, I don't think so. No, no, uh, yeah. Harvey at Leicester, would he, would he be in there? Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes, yeah. yeah. I think he'd get, a game, mm. get in the squad if he weren't injured, probably. Yeah. So I think the Lingard ones possibly yeah, it's a good point. Sorry, I was just gonna you know on on the Trent one. I think you know it's 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 a big call. And but it's Trent a system player though. Is he is he a back four four two type right back or is it a system thing? Well, in a way, I think you know as as bad as he can be defensively, which I think he can, and and you know that means that he might be a bit of a system player. I think he's a good enough talent that you take him. You know, you've got Kyle Walker who's who's available. You've got you know Trent. Who's the other one? Who's the other? Rhys James. Yeah, who's in great form. You know, he's playing really well. So you've got different types of fullbacks there and different options. Kieran Trippier ahead of Trent for me is a nonsense. You know, it's just yeah. like a get out of here. I don't care if you're one of your boys. Like it, it, even if Trent isn't great defensively and he isn't in good form, he's a mercurial talent. You know, he, he can come in and, and be world class. You know, in, do you kind of think he, he he's watching him? Obviously, he's worked a lot with youth players before. You know, becoming England manager, you think he's looked and recognised the signs of a bit of fatigue, and maybe thought, you know what, I'm yeah, going to take him out of that line and, and just give him. But England what managers, are, are, yeah, but also England managers often pick players based on the future, don't they? Like yeah. upcoming tournaments. Trent's 22. Like you mm. want him in, in around the squad. No, I don't, you but I don't think there's going to. think there's any question that he's going to go. Is that he's he's going to no, be but, one of the right? But there is though. I don't like, think that's that the thing. I think that's a good shout. The fact that he might be a bit fatigued. Yeah, I don't, listen, I, you I don't get, know what, what what conversations Southgate had with him, do you? You know, yeah. he hasn't come out in the press and said. I think you're better putting him in the squads and almost basically making him part yeah, but, of this. But, you, you but you're not getting that rest. It's not proper rest, and that's been referenced before by other managers, and they're frustrated and players. They're frustrated getting picked. And they just ends up being a bit power player because you're still having to train every day. Then you're having to live, you know what I mean? Like having a week off and knowing that you're not going to train, or if you are going, you're just going to take over and coming in and, and being able to do your own thing for a week is different to going away from your home, spending time with different people. It's it's you're still in that it's microcosm, like, uh, aren't you? Maybe, maybe, but I for me, like when I've seen well, all all of the like sort of journalism come out, all the all the journalists close to the club, it's almost like it's a little bit under orders. Go out and sort of wrap Trent, put an arm around him because, by all accounts, he's proper crushed. Which is probably why Gerard came out. You know, he probably got wind of that as well. That you know, Trent's probably thinking, you know, all of a sudden he's facing the first bit of adversity in his career and he's being dropped from England. He's not in great form, but it feels like the club have may- maybe sort of said to the journalists who are close to them because it feels like there's a little bit of anger towards Southgate on it. You know, are you, are you going to harm his development? Well, Southgate actually said, I don't think he's played at the level that he's found the couple of years prior, um, although I have noticed lately he's getting close to that again. Um, so he's basically cited form. Yeah, and exactly. I don't, so it's an interesting one, and I, I think it, it, it could be one that, you know, Backfires on them if if they don't take them to to the you know to to the tournaments. We're not bothered, well, I personally <laughs> don't care. You know, I, I as long as it doesn't affect his, his mentality. You know, uh, uh, for Liverpool. Well, if 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 Southgate's uh, sight and form, then you would think it would only push him on to hopefully, play better. Hopefully, plus keep him away from injuries. So like, hopefully yeah. it's good all around for Liverpool. Yeah, you know, hopefully. Um, another question quickly, Terry. Uh, this is Liam on the website. He said Klopp seems to spend seven or eight years at a club. Builds a great team, milks every last drop out of them, sees a decline and then leaves. It could be down to bad luck, but do the lads think there's like anything going on there? Do you think there's a theme that can be drawn across his time? You know, Dortmund and um, I think you know, it, it, although he he's got a similar style in the clubs he's been at, they're not the same clubs. You know, like mind he, he brought up from you know the second division in in, in Germany and, and got got them promotion and stuff, but then they went back down and he basically. Done as much as you could at yeah. Mines. I think Dortmund's a bit more like Liverpool, where you know when when he came in, in terms of like you know the, everything about the club, the politics, not ne- not traditionally yeah. the big the big financial player in 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 their league and blah blah blah. But 
I think the difference is is that at Dortmund, all his best players got poached by Bayern Munich. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, Team whereas it doesn't really happen at Liverpool, do you know no. what I mean, in, in, in the same way. But I think there is something in the fact that he is a system manager. You know, he's got a very, very defined way that he likes his teams to play, you know, counter-press. And, and although there's been tweaks along the way and, and improvements in the way he does it, you know, we've seen that at Liverpool, like an evolution away from the real mad, you yeah. know, attack that we, we, we did have at first. He is still very much a system manager. And that relies on very, very well drilled cogs playing all the time. Yeah. I don't think you could you, you'd expect a Klopp to be able to probably do Guardiola's job, and I don't think Guardiola could do Klopp's, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think they're very different types of managers. One is more about, you know, the sort of the system and everything needing to be well drilled and, and, and together and you know, any injuries, that's a, that's just a wrench in, in the machine and it, it just blows it apart, you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't I don't I don't necessarily think it's a you know, it's it's almost a pattern. I think it's just Well you I look at our team Terry, the average age of the attack is I, I worked this out before, twenty six. The average age of midfield is twenty eight <laughs> and the average age of defence is twenty five. So it's a bit of a false thing. Who, who, who are you including as a fence one though? Like um well, Gomez is twenty three, yeah. Van Dijk's twenty nine, Trent's twenty two, and Robbo's twenty seven. Okay, I thought you were like including like the Kabaks and all that, and oh, then no, so, like, no, bring no, the average age. Our, our, what you would call yeah. our first choice? The forwards: Salah's twenty eight, Mane's twenty eight, and probably Jota's gone ahead of Firmino now. He's twenty four, um, and then the midfield you've got Henderson thirty. Um, Curtis Jones, well, no, that's a bit Curtis cheeky. Putting Curtis Jones, no. Jones you, you need to do Henderson. Why not? Fabinho, twenty-seven, and Thiago, twenty-nine, and and the average age of that is twenty-eight. Yeah, so we're not. That is, they are the type of ages where you sort of achieve. Yeah, isn't it? so yeah. it'd be weird to be bombing them now. But if you look at like as he tried to replace them, well, you, you could say, well, he has bought younger players to come through. I don't think he's just letting this team do a Ferguson in his final year. And just letting them all reach that age no, and I, just getting off. I don't think so. You know, there's key there's there's key things that need to be planned for. You know, Van Dyke as he gets a bit older, you know, Henderson as he gets a, a couple of years older and stuff like that. But I don't think, you know, for me, Klopp, you know, the whole training ground move was driven by him. You know, he's got eyes on the future. He sees that as an important part of Liverpool's back, future. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's but, that's didn't he say he's leaving at the end of his contract, Klopp though? Yeah, but When's that's like twenty twenty four. Four. four or five, four. isn't it? So no, it's not that late. It is. He signed an extension, didn't he? So Did I think he? it is twenty twenty four. Yeah. So he's got another t- three, three years. years. And you know, all that to me says he's planning for the future. He he drove that move. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was a fifty million quid move that the club have basically he, he wanted. So they've signed. No, F- FSG have drove that move. No, since they the f- haven't. No. It came out of the club, Gary. Like they they might have had a part in it, no. but he would have had the final what? say. Yeah, I'm I sure he had the final say, but I'm telling you now, I was there when they done the tour of. Kirby after they'd been to Melwood and after they left the main message was we need the, to move the whole club over to here yeah but if Klopp had said you're not, not doing not, that on my watch that, that wouldn't he, have happened because if, if he thought that, that would have all it would have done is delayed it but it wouldn't have been something that would never have happened yeah but as I say this, what came out as I was talking before about journalists close to the club it has been him almost saying yes I'm willing to do that now the club have basically I'm said wi- yeah, I'm willing it's going to cost it 50 million yeah, yeah. quid that's going to impact your budgets on transfer and he basically yeah. said it has to happen we need to do that so that to me says a manager who's willing to sort of make sacrifices now for the future and make planning I don't think he's going to run this team into the ground but no, I don't think he wants to be he wants that to be his legacy at all you know what I mean But the way he plays asks a lot of players because it, it, it doesn't allow for injuries you can't it's hard to rotate players in and, and then to do the job as well as his first 11 and I think that is something that he'll always wear a squad out I guess is is, is, yeah. is the point but I don't think he's like a you know every job he's ever done has been like a carbon cutout no. very very different clubs and, and, and situations I think but maybe a, a similar style of play I was going to ask this while we were still on the subject so it's slightly going back to the, the England side which I don't really like talking about but one, one, not one um, player I want to ask you about which I thought was a an interesting omission, although not a lot's been made of it. it. Was Ben Godfrey? I thought he may have got a mention. You look at the players who were in there, Eric Dyer. It's like I know, I know he's I know he's a player who, who maybe it's going back to that Southgate core players on before Connor Cozy. Although he, he's had a very good few seasons, hasn't had a great season this season for Wolves. I I was a little bit disappointed to not because of his versatility. I thought he would have been a player yeah. who would have been very interesting to have, particularly. The form he's shown in every position across the back four. Yeah, 
he's definitely good enough to be in the squad. I think you mentioned him players there though like Connor Cole's done it for a couple of seasons yeah. now hasn't he you've got who else is it Mings of Villa Eric Dyer Tyrone Mings I think I mean, he's the one I would have said yeah and, and, could and go I, I love Mings, Tyrone Mings and you think you're never going to start for England no, do you know what I mean yeah. you're never going to be good enough to start but you you just feels like he's put him in there because yeah. he's he's. Had, I mean Villa weren't good at the back last season he's, he's had a good season this season mm-hmm. Mings like to be fair but so so is Godfrey. So I think he's the one out of all of them. Still, I'd say, but still Villa are, are kind of nowhere now. Yeah, they fell it, away. Yeah. So it's like Godfrey's the one I put in instead of him. But we're obviously biased being Evertonians. But and I'm I'm not really bothered if he's not in it. But he, I, I, I just think he's it, definitely it, good enough. I just think my opinion on on squad teams and tournament teams are if you're not going to be a shoe in in that eleven, you want versatility, don't you? Yeah. And I look at those other centre backs, like you say, Tyrone Mings. Eric Dyer, I suppose, gives you versatility in there. Connor Cozy can play in a back three, so I can kind of... But, you know, it, it, when you're at this point now of getting closer to the tournament, I think you want to see players in there who have, have you know, are in there on merit of the form, but also going to give you another option in tournaments. Yeah, when you can play full-back and you can play three at the back. This is Godfrey I'm yeah. talking about. He can play as a three. He can play either... We've, he's proven he can play the full-back. Whether he can do that on an international level, I don't know. But, but it's like, you know... It, it, when you get deeper into the tournament, if you if it's a player to come off the bench and play in any position, yeah. it's like yeah, he's there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. anyway, it's I'm not I'm not I'm not like I wasn't devastated by it, but I just thought I said, I think it was something that he probably deserves at this stage. I do think I think he's he's in it under twenty three squad, and he I think he'll be in, in with an out, yeah I think he'll be in with an outside chance of uh, making the squad still. Mm. I think if he keeps the form until the, now to the end of the season, he'll certainly overtake Mings. Yeah, and I, and I'm not I'm, I'm as I say I'm not overly bothered by it because I, I think going to a tournament when you're not going to necessarily feature much is not going to be something that's no. potentially going to be beneficial to us no. um, during the summer. But yeah, just 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 thought it was worth mentioning that I probably probably would have got a bit of criticism from the Blues if we didn't. But yeah, that that's about all we all we we got to cover it this 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 week as as we say with with no games to preview um thanks again to Liverpool live for, for allowing us the the studio in here and again you can normally catch at least one of us on the on their sports show on a saturday so so check it out Liverpool live radio if you if you just search on google you can you can stream it straight from there or you can catch it on on, on dab as well in your car or on your dab radio um and yeah th- thanks everyone for listening take care catch us next time